Hi, everybody. Welcome to Open to Debate. I'm Naima Reza. I'm a journalist at New York Magazine, the executive producer and co-host of the podcast On with Kara Swisher, and I'm the guest moderator of today's debate. We're going to be tackling the question, is objectivity essential to journalism? For generations, objectivity has been enshrined in newsrooms and seen as a guiding light to true and trusted reporting. But in recent years, some journalists have been pushing back against the construct. If you've been on Twitter recently, one, I'm very sorry, it's a bit of a dumpster fire. And two, you may have seen this debate play out. Journalist Wes Lowry has argued that, quote, American view from nowhere, objectivity obsessed, both-sided journalism is a failed experiment. While reporter Christian Amanpour has advocated for reporting, that is truthful, not neutral. Editors have warned about upending this norm, especially when it comes to journalists sharing their views. As the New York Times executive editor Joe Kahn put it, you can't be an activist and be a Times journalist at the same time. The debate is also playing out in newsrooms, heatedly, in Slack channels, editorial meetings, and leaked letters from editors. But what is objectivity? How does it impact diversity in newsrooms and news coverage? Who benefits from it? Is the purpose of journalism to gather and report information or to reveal truth? And are the two purposes I just listed synonymous or competing? These are questions that are critical in a moment where politicians and the public dispute what a fact even is, and when misinformation and mistrust are rampant. So we at Open to Debate are asking this question, is objectivity essential to journalism? Arguing yes is New York Times opinion columnist Brett Stevens. Welcome back, Brett. Nice to see you, Naima. And arguing no to the question, is objectivity essential to journalism, is former executive editor of The Washington Post and professor at Arizona State University's Walter Cronkite School of Journalism, Leonard Downey Jr. Len, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. So before we jump into opening arguments, I think it's helpful for our audience to know this isn't your first time sparring on the topic. Len, you wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post arguing that newsrooms that move beyond objectivity can build trust. And Brett, you responded saying this proposal was a sure way to, quote, destroy what's left of mainstream media's credibility. And I understand you two had a lengthy phone call on the topic. Yes, we did. Maybe tell us what happened. And Brett, you can start. To my sorrow, I think I inartfully and a little bluntly disparaged uh, Len's opinion piece in the Washington Post making the case against objectivity. And um, uh, he wrote me a note saying, you know, you should read the full report on which my opinion piece was based, which I did. And then we agreed to have uh, a phone conversation. And I think the result was a very civil conversation. I think the result is that we uh, agreed to disagree. I remember that being our first debate. Yes. <laughs> this will be our second debate. <laughs> um, we love strange bedfellows that open to debate, but this is an odd pairing. We have an opinion journalist, Brett, who's arguing for more objectivity in news gathering and news reporting. And we have a newsroom editor, Len, arguing for the reconsideration of objectivity. So I'm very curious about what brings each of you to the table, uh, what makes you passionate about the debate. Maybe, Len, I'll start with you. You were an editor on Watergate. You presumably operated in newsrooms that advertise this notion of objectivity and lived by it. So how have you come to this table? What are the stakes for you? I, I first need to say that neither Ben Bradley, who preceded me, nor I, ever used objectivity as a, uh, as, as a standard for the Washington Post newsroom. And I'll talk about what that means later. But we were, what was important to us was uh, factual, fair news reporting uh, that endeavored to search for truth. So what, what happened now was a, few, a year or so ago, a colleague of mine 
uh, Andrew Hayward, who had been president of CBS News some time ago, set off on this project to find out what's going on around the country with this whole debate about objectivity. Uh, and so we interviewed 75 news leaders, journalists, critics throughout the country over a year's time and wrote the report that, uh, that Brett referred to. And, and since then, we've been doing workshops uh, with uh, mostly with local news, newsrooms in uh, newspapers and, uh, and television stations around the country and find that, indeed, what, we, what we're, we're interested in doing is what they're interested in doing at the same time. Great. Brett, you're an opinion journalist, so why are you motivated to take a stance on how the newsroom reports the news? You know, uh, my lodestar, I think, in this debate is this now famous quotation from Daniel Patrick Moynihan about people being entitled to their own opinions but not their own facts. And in fact, I've spent the bulk of my now nearly 30-year career in journalism on the opinion side. But it has made me that much more of a believer in the necessity of having facts from my colleagues on the news side that are accurate, reliable, have been vetted, and are presented in a way that is fair and, and stripped to whatever extent possible of personal biases and opinions. I, I believe there's, there is a role for subjectivity in journalism. This is how I make a living. But I do mm -hmm. it honestly because my column is presented under the banner of opinion. What I want from my colleagues on the news side, and I suspect what most American news consumers want, is news reporting that doesn't have the filter of the personal views of the people reporting and editing it. Great. Let's get to opening statements. And Len, you'll be up first. You are arguing, no, objectivity is not essential to journalism. Tell us why. Well, it's not necessary to have traditional objectivity as the best way to produce factual, fair, trustworthy news coverage without bias or opinion. Traditional journalism objectivity actually itself often distorted reality. Traditional journalistic objectivity was a standard dictated over decades in the last century by white male editors in predominantly white male newsrooms, and it reinforced their own view of the world, which left an awful lot out. Until relatively recently, most newsrooms, their sources of information uh, and their journalism did not reflect the diversity of the communities they covered or the diversity of the country. In fact, there was too little coverage of diverse communities and the issues most important to them. Traditional objectivity often meant false balance or misleading both sidesism in the coverage of controversial or complex subjects, such as race, the treatment of women, income inequality, education, immigration, government power, uh, democracy, public safety, or climate change. I, I, I remember when I was running the Washington Post that in the early days of covering climate change, the, the, the findings of scientists had to be balanced, theoretically, by the know-nothingism of people that were denying climate change without any facts whatsoever. And that, that's what we don't want to have happen. At the same time, mainstream news media, and especially local news media, are coping with economic and digital disruption now. While American society has been in an upheaval that is challenging newsrooms and their diversity, values, and credibility. That's why we made the study we did. That's why we made the recommendations we made. An increasing number of journalists in the newsrooms that we studied believe that the traditional concept of journalistic objectivity prevents truly accurate reporting informed by their own backgrounds and experiences. These newsrooms have now become much more diverse than they were in the past. Their leaders are much more diverse than they were in the past. Many women and journalists of color are now leading American newsrooms. And these are the newsrooms that we were talking to. 
They want to make a difference in reporting on the challenges currently facing American society and their communities without stating opinion, without having opinion in their stories, without political bias. We also advocate that newsrooms continue to become as diverse in all ways as the communities they cover, which they've not been yet. And we recommend they become as transparent as possible in showing the public how they're doing their work covering the news so that the public can decide whether or not they think, as, as Brett alleged, opinion has crept in or bias has crept in because they show their work. And that's, that's possible now in a digital world. Great. Thank you very much, Len, for that. And now let's hear from Brett. You're taking the position that objectivity is essential to journalism. Tell us why, Brett. Hang on. Not quite. Take it at face value. I can't quite say yes to the proposition as written, as often happens in open-to-debate formats. Can you have profitable journalism without objectivity? Of course. Just look at Fox News. Can you have literate, even great journalism without objectivity? Sure, if you think of people like Hunter Thompson or Chris Hitchens or Joan Didion as journalists, can you have honest journalism without objectivity? Yes, you can, if you're prepared to show your readers your cards, state your biases up front. That's what those of us in the opinion sections of newspapers and magazines try to do every day. But what you cannot have without objectivity is authoritative journalism offering information that has immediate and deep credibility with a broad range of readers from different sides of the political spectrum. And I would add that that's the kind of journalism that's most desperately needed now. The American news media is in crisis. Like so many other institutions in American life, fundamentally, it's a crisis of trust. According to Gallup, just 16% of Americans have a lot of trust in newspapers. That's down from 35% just 20 years ago. For TV news, only 11% really trust it, 52% do not. Those are terrible numbers. And while the erosion of trust has multiple causes, I believe that one of them is the erosion of objectivity as a standard in newsrooms. People don't trust the media for the simple reason that much of the media has become less trustworthy. Many news consumers sense, often with good reason, that reporters and editors show personal bias in their coverage. They feel that the media too often tries to shut down important public debates. They feel the media doesn't really bother to listen to, much less understand, millions of people who are not quite like them. The result is to drive people away from mostly credible news sources to mostly non-credible ones, furthering our descent into a country that can't even ar have arguments from a common set of facts. How do we start to cure what ails us? Len says, give up on objectivity, that it's an unattainable ideal anyway, that we should devote ourselves to truth with a capital T as different reporters see it. I say, let's recommit ourselves to objectivity. There may be no such thing as perfect objectivity. There's also no such thing as perfect justice. Nonetheless, we are well-served when we strive toward independent goals. But objectivity isn't just an ideal. More importantly, it's a method. Objectivity does not require us to seek false balance, as Len suggests, but it does demand that we seek multiple perspectives. Objectivity doesn't require a mindless both-sides-ism, but it asks reporters to fairly represent important public debates. Objectivity does not assume that reporters have no personal biases, 
but it puts them and their editors through the rigor of trying to strip those biases out. Finally, objectivity is neither about knowing the truth or ignoring the truth. It is about going about our business with the knowledge we may never know the full truth, but that we can offer our audiences accurate and relevant facts so they can make better informed decisions. The word for that is humility. If we want to restore trust in journalism and, to adapt a phrase, make journalism great again, recommitting ourselves to objectivity is a great place to start. Okay, the table is set for a good argument. We'll dive into our discussion on the question, is objectivity essential to journalism, right after this. Welcome back to Open to Debate. We're debating the question, is objectivity essential to journalism? We just heard opening statements from Brett Stevens and Len Downey. So let's just jump back into it. I want to make sure we understand where you stand and why. So I want to give a very quick highlight summary of that. It seems, Len, you're saying that objectivity is a principle that has not necessarily served newsrooms. Uh, It led to false balance between facts and not. And I'm also hearing you say that now is an urgent time because journalism is changing. These newsrooms are changing, and your report empirically shows that. And so we have to address what comes next and how to think about the future of journalism. Is that a correct summation? Yes, it is. Uh, Brett, you're adapting the question to objectivity is essential to authoritative journalism. My understanding is that, which means to you, immediate, deep, critical, appeals to a broad range of people and doesn't speak to an echo chamber, essentially, is what you're saying. Yes, um, trustworthy journalism. Yeah. And you're also, you're, you're arguing urgency for the other side, as Len is for, for adapting the principle. And you're arguing that it's urgent right now because the erosion of trust, you're linking very clearly to the erosion of objectivity in newsrooms. Is that correct? Correct. Great. So let's move on to the discussion portion of the debate. And I, it seems, Len, you, ha- you are I'm, I'm concerned excited. that Brett is conflating different kinds. Of, there's so much news media, supposed news media now, so much going on on the internet, on cable television, and so on. I don't know of a single reliable American newspaper or television broadcast that called the idea that COVID originated in a lab in China a racist conspiracy theory. The Washington Post. Uh, it, in a news story in the Washington Post, really? And and other major news outlets called it that, and that's just a fact. I, I'm not aware of that in a single news story about that. Leading reporters on the COVID beat in major mainstream newspapers described it as a conspiracy theory or a racist conspiracy. This is one of the reasons why the interjection of personal opinions into news stories or from reporters erodes trust in the credibility of media. I think part of what Brett is arguing is that objectivity is a process. And do you agree with that, Len? It was a process. What Mm -hmm. I'm saying is the process needs to be expanded. It needs to be expanded into communities that haven't been covered before. It needs to be expanded into uh, sources of information that were not often used until relatively recent years. I'm certainly not arguing against diversity. You have have my full agreement that the kind of reporting that you encountered probably when you were starting your career— overwhelmingly white male newsrooms served the purposes of objectivity poorly. The best way to deal with that problem is not by getting rid of the standard of objectivity. It's by making newsrooms more diverse. There is no conflict 
uh, and should be no conflict between highly diverse newsrooms, not just in terms of racial or ethnic composition, but also in terms of viewpoints, um, and better and more objective media. I would say that pursuit of facts and fairness is is that, rather than objectivity, in which people have different versions of what they think objectivity is and what it, what it produces in the way of journalism. We both completely agree that more diverse newsrooms serve the purposes of news gathering at its best. But we wouldn't say for one minute, right, that the only people who should cover, let's say, the Israel story should be Jewish reporters, and the only people who should cover the Palestinian side should be should be Palestinians because as members or affiliated with those communities, they bring deeper knowledge. We would say, hang on a second, we don't want to make any judgments about the identity of the people who are covering the story, but we have standards to ensure that whatever biases they are bringing to that particular story or that particular conflict are stripped out so that when readers or audiences look at the reporting, they're not going to say, well, that reporter is just reporting that set of facts because they're convenient to who he or she is. We want those reporters to be objective. Len, how would you treat that? I, I totally I totally agree with that, except for the last word. We want them to be open to all information, to all facts, and not to be biased. I do not see lack of bias and objectivity as exactly the same thing. I think that two things that are striking to me. One is this difference of opinion on the definition of objectivity. Yes. Um, I think this question of bias and reporting, or one way I would frame it actually for Brett and the way that Len seems to be advocating it is that diversity can can also be an edge for good reporting. Diversity could be not bias, but expertise. Correct. Do you think that's possible, Brett? Sure. Again, we're not, Len and I have no argument about the value of diverse <laughs> newsrooms. His definition of, of good journalism, good news reporting, the one that he offered in his opinion piece, you know, talking about accuracy, fairness, balance, uh, verification, those are very close to the standards of objectivity. So one of the mystifications, quite frankly, that I had with your opinion is that you seem to endorse most of the values that we traditionally associate with objectivity, but you reject the concept. I think one of the points that you brought up in addition is this issue of uh, false balance or both sidesism, and you mentioned the example of uh, climate change. Now, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, the amount of evidence to support the contention of man-made climate change just wasn't as extensive. Now it's really essentially incontrovertible. But it takes time to gather sufficient scientific evidence to reach those kinds of, of conclusions. So the, the example that you offer of climate change, I don't think is a particularly great one for the case you're making. I want to give Len a moment to respond to that. Len, what's a more recent example? Uh, well, I would think the gun debate is one uh, where uh, it's necessary to look hard at the facts. There have been some recent uh, recent journalistic projects uh, that have shown the, uh, the uh, what goes on with guns in the country. If a leading member of the mainstream news establishment, and Len has been and, and, and remains one, says the gun debate is closed. Um, my argument is that's a perfect example of what I mean when, when you see uh, reporters injecting their own uh, points of view, saying, no, this is a closed discussion. There cannot be a reasonable— I, I didn't say it was a closed discussion. 
I don't want to put words in your mouth. <laughs> no. Tell me what it is that the point you were trying to make there. I say that the, the coverage of guns until relatively recent years, when there's been investigations looking into the relationship between guns and suicides, between guns and um, uh, crime, uh, before then it was simply arguments in coverage between anti-gun people saying this and pro-gun people saying that, as opposed to once you go and do the factual uh, digging that you were talking about, uh, it's, it's quite clear what the connections are between guns and suicide, the availability of guns and suicide, the availability of guns to children, the availability of guns to criminals uh, is, 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 not, is not a two-sided story. I would argue that it is a two-sided story, even if I'm probably on the same side of you as, as this debate. And one of the problems that we have when we're trying to remove this idea of objectivity is reporters run the risk of offering what they consider the truth with a capital T as a barrier between what the facts are and what the reader concludes. First of all, I didn't talk about truth with a capital T. There is no capital T truth there. They're simply piling information upon information to try to help the American public make up their minds about things. I think we should note for listeners that a lot of this debate about objectivity and a lot of the quotes that I cited in the opening arguments actually came out of coverage of race during the George Floyd protests um, in 2020. And so this is why diversity is a big part of this conversation. I came across a recent Pew study. It said that 76% of Americans expressed that journalists should always strive to give all sides equal coverage, but only 44% of American journalists agreed. 56% said that all sides don't deserve equal coverage. I'm curious where you two fall on this. Look, I think a lot of that rests on the question of what, what you mean by all sides, right? I mean, the earth is not flat, okay? Let's, let's, mm -hmm. let's all agree that there are uh, a range of uh, opinions that some sides might have that are preposterous, but we do sometimes talk about the Overton window uh, mm -hmm. as a term of like the range of sort of reasonably debatable opinions in a given society at a given time. And my own view is that the tendency in media has been to narrow that window, I think, far too much that we would be well served by by widening uh, the window. I wanted to make the distinction between all sides and both sides. Both mm -hmm. sides is, is a kind of like debate. This, this source says this, and this source mm -hmm. says the opposite. All sides should be reported on, absolutely should be reported on. And then mm -hmm. you have to do what I think Brett suggests, which is try and figure out in terms of weighing the, the different views you get, the different information you get into a story, is to try to make the story as factual and as fair and as, and as close to pursuit of truth as possible. And so I don't, I don't, when the public says they would like to see all sides represented, that's context. It should be context in all stories. It's also why I, we advocate a much more transparency in what the news media does, which is beginning to happen. Show the, show your work. Show people where, where you got your information from. Show them that you're, that there are things you don't know. Show them that there are things, people you couldn't reach uh, in order for the audience to make a better appraisal of whether or not your story is fair. I think the devil is also in the details, though. It, it, a lot of this conversation has come to light at the former president. Um, for example, on occasion, newspapers have reported that he blurred the truth when, in fact, objective definitions would suggest that he lied or tell us that he lied flatly, the election denial being one of those. In other cases, this, this decision came under scrutiny from the Wall Street Journal and New York Times when Trump told four congresswomen to go back to the crime-infested places from which they came. That was described as racially charged or racially infused versus racist. But I'm curious, how would your argument suggest covering, one, the president's lies, 
if you if you in fact agree they are lies, which factually they are lies, and two the uh, the description of racially charged or racially infused versus flatly racist. As an editor, I I do worry about using the word lie, which the New York Times decided it should use, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, because the public takes that as an opinion rather than as a fact. You can Hmm. make quite clear that he's lying by presenting the truth, uh, by having other people note that he's lying. Things that he says are false, you can say are false as opposed to lying. The same thing with racism. Uh, Racist behavior can be described in a way that makes clear that it's racist. And in some cases, you would be factual to call it racist uh, in a, in a news story and, and probably should. In other cases, if you think that that's going to be seen as pejorative and undercut the facts themselves, then maybe you want to just deal with the facts. You know, Len and I don't disagree here. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I read a lot of uh, news stories and I just see this plague of adjectives that don't do anything to uh, contribute to the richness of the report. Uh, that interject uh, really opinions where readers can surely draw their own conclusions. I'm particularly wary of the word lie because Hmm. lying, unlike telling a falsehood, requires that you know that it is untrue. So it requires the reporter to understand the president's state of mind when he said this or that. Maybe he's crazy. Maybe he's misinformed. It is possible to say something is false or even better to show that it is false without using the word false, but just to to demonstrate it by saying, for instance, multiple courts have found otherwise or or Trump-appointed judges ruled against him, you know, things that are actually bring information to the table. And it goes with the same question of racist or or racially charged. I see the word racist uh, crop up almost incessantly in, uh, in in news reporting. I don't think it adds very much. People can draw their own conclusions. I think it detracts more than it adds. Now, a question for you. So the identity of the reporter, though, is a reality in the world we live in. We live in a social media era. And so journalists are out there sharing their opinions on social media, or could be many newsrooms prohibit the sharing of such information. Though, Len, your, your uh, survey in this report suggests that more and more newsrooms are taking a, a a less uh, restrictive stance on this. To some extent, a few of them are in certain areas where they don't think it's going to color the reporter's work. But still, for most news organizations, and Andrew Hayward and I agreed, that that still should be prohibited. You should not be doing anything that that raises questions about the credibility of your news organization and the fairness of your news organization. What I always told my staff was, uh, you have given up, you are giving up certain civil rights that your neighbors have in order to join together in exercising the most vigorous amendment to rights under the First Amendment. You know, reporters are paid in many respects not to have an opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. Luckily for me, I'm paid to have an opinion, right. right? But that's a well-understood division. I'm curious, Len, Wes Lowry and others have have talked about moral clarity, something I know you are leery of. Yes. You seem to be more of the camp that journalists should report the information and audiences can understand their own conclusions, but you fall short of advocating for that standard. What what instead would you argue for? Is it transparency and disclosures? What is it? Accurate, fair, uh, pursuit of the truth, uh, keeping an open mind without bias uh, and with without uh, advocacy. The problem is that 
some people see that as objectivity, and journalistic objectivity had had a bad name within the profession uh, because, in fact, it wasn't that. It was seeing things from a certain from a certain mindset, a certain point of view, certain certain constrictions of what, in fact, was even news uh, was was a problem with journalistic objectivity. Right, what gets covered? About what gets covered? Right, that's right. You have to make decisions about what gets covered. Well, Len has just offered a series of words that sound to be a lot like objectivity. Um, and we can probably argue around the margins there. But my, my fear is that what really comes after objectivity is that moral clarity, uh, so-called standard that some, mm. some younger journalists are arguing for. And the, and the problem with that is that uh, your moral clarity isn't mine and it's right. uh, not Naima's. So moral clarity ends up just being a license for having a series of news channels uh, or organizations, each of which pursue their own vision of moral clarity, whether it's National Review has moral clarity, so it thinks, and so does the nation. And we lose that common set of facts that this that our democracy so desperately needs. I, I agree with that. And Wes Lowry himself, when we, we interviewed Wes, by the way, for yes. this report, uh, and he said that uh, when, when called on that question of moral clarity, he came back to saying, well, it's my, it, it, I, I really, if, if objectivity is the pursuit of truth, then that, that's what I mean by this, is the pursuit of truth. And, and he, he kind of backed off moral clarity. Some of this conversation is, I think, very much, you know, the devil is in the details and the words and the decisions, editorial decisions that are being, that are happening every day in newsrooms and the lack of trust that people have around that um, in this country at this moment. Um, I think, Len, part of what you're saying is that there is an empirical change that's happening in newsrooms and we need to address that. And Brett, your your argument is we need to double down on what served us, what served generations before, not what the next generation might be demanding. Yes. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is within newsrooms, the next generation should be heard. You should take advantage of their, of their zeal, of their desire to make life better for people, but at the same time to edit them in a way and help them understand that what is actually presented in the, in the news that they produce has to be fair and accurate and transparent. I think what we should be doing with younger journalists is to say, hang on a second, what you are so convinced of as being the truth may not be so. And so you are required by the standards of this news organization to solicit points of view that you dislike, to present them at least fairly or without slant or condescension, to seek out facts because one of the things we journalists should should work on is our sense of humility. There is a sense in this country, which is, I think, correct, that much of the mainstream media uh, at its upper echelons has become arrogant and morally sure of itself, and that has not served either the media or the public well. I, I think he's I think he's overgeneralizing both about the young people and about the people who are running the media. I think one question I have for you, Brett, is is the is the challenge of public not trusting media, that's, is that a secular challenge or a specific challenge to media that results from an erosion of objectivity? Because the same Gallup polls that will show you a declining trust in media will show you double-digit declines in the church, in the military, in yeah. all kinds of institutions across American society. And journalists feel a responsibility to resurrect trust. I think one, I mean, here I'm really generalizing, but I think one thing in common is that many of the institutions, you mentioned the church, did a lot to damage themselves by falling very short of the standards that they proclaimed that they had had set themselves as as their lodestars. A media that 
says to its audience, we are the truth, right? We are offering you the truth. And yet reporters who are constantly betraying their political biases on Twitter, which, by the way, is just an extension of their, of their professional lives, also erodes trust. So you can, only, you can only reform it by going back to the standards that you had originally set, which I think are very good. We're going to wrap our discussion there. When we come back, we'll bring in some more voices to move the conversation further on this question. Is objectivity essential to journalism? We'll be right back. Welcome back to Open to Debate. I'm Naima Reza. I'm joined by Brett Stevens and Len Downey to debate the question, is objectivity essential to journalism? At this point in the debate, we're going to open up the conversation to some other voices. There are some journalists who have some questions for both of you. First up, Sewell Chan, editor-in-chief of the Texas Tribune. Len, many editors, you know, say that objectivity is intimately related to the idea of standards. And how can we have standards and rigor if, if we don't have kind of an ideal to measure them against? Could you speak to that? Uh, obviously, I believe in standards. We had very strict standards at the Washington Post, as you recall, when you when you worked there. And uh, objectivity was not one of them, uh, because what is objectivity was, remains a question. Uh, Brett thinks it's one thing. I experienced over my length of my career when it was something else in many newsrooms, which is why it was not the case in my newsroom. But uh, standards are important, and sta- we, we spell out standards in our report and in our recommendations, very strict standards, uh, including not going on. Uh, uh, the internet and expressing your opinions. So Brett was, uh, again, generalizing way too much about that. Not many reporters do that. Or when they do, they get into trouble and they stop. And for Brett, if I may, Brett, some critics of objectivity are not necessarily at all from the left. I've encountered people who are conservatives who also scoff at the concept of objectivity, not because they're extremists or anything, but because they actually see the ideal of objectivity as an example of our arrogance as a field, as an example of how we're not doing close enough listening. So, you know, what do you, what do you make of that kind of critique? The criticism, as I've heard it from the right, is that there is a hypocrisy and that the media proclaims a standard and then falls so glaringly short of it. And in fact, sometimes uses and abuses objectivity to really shape stories in ways that kind of quietly suit their ideological purposes. And I think a good editor should interpose himself with a reporter and say, hang on a second, you know, that story really seemed to me slanted. And let's re-report this, or let's at least rethink how we cover this particular story. But isn't that covered by Len's appeal to fairness? Like, why do you need objectivity in that instance? Well, we're having a bit of a kind of angels on the head of a pin kind of argument uh, (laughs) that's been running through this and that that I largely agree with the words Len uses to describe journalistic standards, which I call objective and he calls something else. But those standards of of fairness and accuracy, uh, I've put them under the rubric of uh, objectivity. And that's what's really being attacked. I mean, if I could criticize Len, he's not offering the hard case for his point of view. It's people who are saying we should just get rid of this and go for the moral clarity standard, which kind of like the, 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 the difficult debate that we need to have. Except I'm not advocating that at all. Our report doesn't advocate that. Our recommendations don't advocate that. It's not the journalism that I practice or that Sewell practices. Thank you, Sewell. Next up, a question from Helene Olin, an opinion writer from the Washington Post. Hi, everybody. I want to go back to the role of the reader in all of this for a moment. Um, 
I am respectful of the polls that say about 75% of readers would like to see more objectivity from newsrooms or believe it should be objective. I also, from hard experience here, know that a lot of readers and viewers um, get very upset and angry if you present information that disagrees with some of their priors. And as we have sorted into people uh, who are left-leaning versus right-leaning, favoring different publications, are we seeing this play out more? How is this impacting journalism? Uh, to use an example from the right, I would say, you know, Fox News, obviously, with the Donald Trump election. And on, certainly on the left, you could see it with everything from Hunter Biden coverage to COVID coverage. I, I read a lot of coverage in mainstream news media about Hunter Biden's case, including revelations uh, that have not come from anywhere else. So I don't see I don't see the media somehow taking the Biden side of that of that story uh, in in reporting. And that, that, I don't know about the opinion side of things. But we did indeed see that in the run up to the election in 2020, where it, various allegations came out. And as we know, they were somewhat suppressed, certainly on the social media. And it was not particularly well covered in mainstream. Right. It may not have been well covered in the mainstream, but there wasn't a lot known back then either. As I recall, there was a lot of reporting going on, but a lot was, not much was being found out. So I, I really didn't see that kind of bias. And I should add to that, I believe that part of the challenge was that some outlets, I'm not advocating for one side or another, but some outlets were not provided access to the actual documents. Those documents were disproportionately provided to what we would describe as right-leaning media. Yeah, that's also true. Well, they were provided to the news side of the Wall Street Journal, and they declined mm -hmm. to do it. And I think that's a that's a pretty sad episode in mainstream media coverage. It was an absolutely credible story, credible at the time and abundantly verified uh, later on. And and it was, uh, it was a bad moment. But to Helene's question, I, I think those, and I know this from personal experience, uh, we in in the media, particularly on the opinion side, have to learn to distinguish between the angry voices who are writing comments or on you know constantly on Twitter. That is the voices that we hear from or the voices that we see. And what I suspect is a much larger number of readers and audience members who really are more even-tempered and balanced in in their judgments. And I don't think we do enough to respect to to borrow a phrase, that silent majority of our uh, audience who can be treated like adults and don't need uh, to constantly have their biases uh, uh, reinforced, don't need adjectives for them to understand if something is a lie or false, who can be trusted to be mature consumers of a news report. I, I want to add that our uh, research and our report was as much aimed at local news as any other kind of news. Most of this discussion has been about national news. In fact, uh, the, uh, the local news has a much larger audience throughout the country in newspapers, local television stations, and websites uh, than national news does. Uh, and this is what really matters to people. And this is what our report was about, uh, which because it's local news that's under siege economically. And so it was imp important to us to make sure that local Local news was being done as well as it possibly could be done. Great. Our next question is from Ken Aletta, an American author, political columnist from the New York Daily News and media critic for The New Yorker. Hi, Ken. Great to see you. Hi. Thank you. Brett, let me start with you by asking, I mean, you, you mentioned two things in your remarks. One is that objectivity is not a science, in effect. And two, that you believe that we need more humility. 
Why isn't fairness a better word than objectivity then? Look, fairness is a very good word. Objectivity has a specific, uh, I think, broadly understood meaning about stripping personal bias and opinion out of our news reporting. And it encompasses, I think, a broader set of values or, I should say, a broader set of objectives than simply fairness. There is also, you know, uh, questions of accuracy, verification, uh, a whole panoply of things that Len repeatedly has mentioned. I'm perfectly happy, by the way. I'm not, I don't have some some uh, uh, profound totemic connection to the word objectivity. If you wanted to come up with a different word that described all those values and required reporters and editors to submit to them and to uphold them, I'd be perfectly happy to go along with that word. I don't think that objectivity is a word that has reached its sell-by date. I think it's a very valuable word. Most reporters and editors that I work with understand exactly what it means, and they want to uphold it and and pass it along to the next generation of of journalists. The New York Times runs a front-page story saying that Donald Trump said that the election was a fraud, and he actually won the 2020 election. And the Times then says, comma, which is untrue. Does that bother you when they do that? Uh, well, I guess it is untrue. Um, I, as I said in my in my remarks, I I do not like this what I've called the plague of adjectives um, uh, and in, in, injected into the news report as a matter of style, and I think it leads to a certain amount of laziness in journalism. Again, I <laughs> I should be careful about criticizing my paper, so I don't mind it, but I don't think it adds very much. What would add a lot is to say a judge in Pennsylvania said this, quote, another judge in where a, d- a different district said the other. It's a simple matter of, of showing, not telling, which is, you know, you know better than anyone, uh, the best form of journalistic writing. In fact, Brett, often a story that would have that as the lead would then have not that just one judge in Pennsylvania, but that many judges across the country threw out all the challenges to the election except for one, I think. And so you, so the body of the story c- contains those facts. So if that's so, then why is it why is it a, a wrong to, be, to state that particular fact in the lead of the story, which is then as explicated on in the rest of the story? Look, again, I don't think this is really the nub of the debate. I'm perfectly happy to say, which is untrue. Um, I just think that in general, we serve ourselves better when we simply say something like, um, the Supreme Court unanimously threw out the petition in a single or in a two-sentence order, or something like that, does more to effectively communicate the point than having reporter X say, comma, which is untrue. All right. Thank you, Ken. Our final question is from Kyle Pope editor of the Columbia Journalism Review. Hi, Kyle. Hey, everybody. Uh, First, I'm going to ask Brad, I think what's missing here is the sort of sense of the urgency of the moment that we're living in and the long decline in trust in journalism, which didn't begin with the killing of George Floyd and the change in newsrooms that happened after that. It long preceded that. And it just seems to me that like, asking us to like go back and continue to do this thing that newsrooms have been trying to do for now decades that isn't really working. I mean, I'm so glad that Lynn brought up local newsrooms. Local newsrooms have tended historically to be the most objective newsrooms on the landscape, right? 
they really tend to be down the middle. And they are the ones that have been suffering incredible, incredible losses. So I just wonder whether you think that like putting this thing back in the bottle is going to help solve what is really a acute crisis. I guess the urgency of the moment to me is this, that in 2022, according to Gallup, only 16% of Americans had strong trust in uh, in newspapers. That's down from 35% just 20, uh, 20 years ago. So the urgency is that I think we have been walking down, uh, and I, again, a generalization, we've been walking down the wrong road. Um, we have allowed trust to erode. My thesis is that much of the trust erodes because readers say, I don't know whether this is true or just the writer or the reporter's uh, opinion. Uh, the biggest crisis, I think, in the United States to say, uh, today is, is, is not a political crisis. It's a trust crisis. Countries that become low-trust nations, whether it's Lebanon or Brazil, are troubled countries. We have a role to play as journalists in, in, in restoring trust. And I think ob- objectivity or whatever word you want to choose in its stead is a very good way of reversing that process. Lynn, I just wondered about, I, I, I think objectivity is a terrible word um, for all this in terms of the general news audience. I don't think they track what's, what we're talking about when, when we use this word. What I hear more is the, a question of authenticity. What can we do specifically to more convey the authentic view of where the reporter is coming from? That, that's where transparency fits into our recommendations. So we can be news media can be far more transparent than it is to tell readers where did the story come from, how did we do this reporting, what is it that we don't know, uh, can we put documents up on the internet to show you what, what those documents say? A, a variety of ways of being completely transparent about what we're doing and let and let the audience judge whether or not we did the job as well as we should have. And the second thing is the follow up. Uh, too, too much uh, journalism is. Excitable in the moment, uh, covering something, you know, two or three days and then dropping it for a very long time instead of coming back and constantly trying to take another bite out of the apple, constantly trying to give people more information, constantly trying to provide more context. Uh, It's better now than it used to be, uh, but that's still something very important to do. Thank you all. Thank you. Now's the time to bring it home with closing remarks. And Brett, since Len went first for our opening arguments, you'll now have the floor. Tell us why you say that objectivity is essential to journalism. Well, first, let me say how honored I am to to share the virtual stage with Len and such distinguished journalists here. We disagree, but it does nothing to diminish my respect for him as a journalist. Uh, I also want to borrow some thoughts from Len's successor at the Washington Post, uh, Marty Barron. When any of us go to see a doctor, I think most of us want that doctor's objective assessment of our condition. When we stand before a judge, we want the judge's objective judgment about the merits of the case and the applicability of the law. If we read a consumer report about the merits of a car, we want an objective appraisal too. And if we're interviewing a witness, we, like Detective Columbo, want just the facts, ma'am. Journalism should be no different. Yes, there are flaws, real flaws, in the model, traditional model of objective journalism. We've discussed them here today. But to adapt Winston Churchill's famous definition of democracy, it's the worst form of journalism ever invented, except for all the others. In his original essay, Len talked about the important role that journalism plays in the health of our democracy. 
But the most important role it can play is one that only objective journalism can provide, which is to offer a common set of carefully vetted facts from which people in a free society can then draw their own opinions. If we try to interpose our opinions on those facts, we aren't helping them see the truth. We are standing in the way of them seeing it. There's a wonderful scene in Dr. Strangelove where the president of the United States, played by Peter Sellers, is disputing the Soviet ambassador's contention that the United States was secretly building the same kind of doomsday machine that the Russians had. When the president calls the claims preposterous, the ambassador shuts, shuts the debate down by saying, my source was the New York Times. We would be better off at home and abroad if mainstream media still possessed that same authority. The only way to reclaim it is through more objective journalism. Thank you, Brett. And now, Len, I'm going to invite you to make your closing remarks. Your rebuttal, please. Tell us why objectivity is not essential to journalism. Yes, I first want to say that we are not doctors. We are not judges. Uh, we're not used car salesmen. Uh, there are all sorts of things that uh, journalists are not. Uh, journalists are, are, are seekers of facts. Uh, doctors do have opinions, as a matter of fact. Doctors disagree about the conditions. Uh, judges are overruled by by high courts uh, that uh, that tear to, tear to shreds a, a judge's opinion as being completely wrong. So I, I, I love Marty uh, and uh, 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 the whole rest of his essay, the whole rest of his speech that that essay was taken from, in fact, pretty much agrees with us, with our report. Uh, and uh, and why he's hung up on objectivity is, is not, not so clear to me. So I am not advocating opinionated news coverage or advocacy. I am advocating accuracy, fairness, nonpartisanship, accountability, transparency, and the pursuit of truth by mainstream news media across the country, locally and nationally. This is more vital than ever in a deeply divided country full of disinformation and abundant threats to democracy, something we've not talked about enough in this debate, as a matter of fact. Trustworthy journalism by a relatively new generation of journalists and its newsroom leaders can ensure that the news media continues to do its part to protect democracy. Thank you, Len. And that is a wrap on this debate. I want to say thank you to both of you for being here. I appreciate your bringing such thoughtful disagreement to the table, for finding, I believe, some common ground, and in short, for being open to debate. Thank you, Len and Brett. I also want to express our gratitude to the reporters who have joined us today. Thank you so much for your contributions and excellent questions. And of course, thank you to our audience. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Open to Debate. As a nonprofit, our work to combat extreme polarization through civil and respectful debate is generously funded by listeners like you, the Rosencrantz Foundation, and supporters of Open to Debate. Open to Debate is also made possible by a generous grant from the Laura and Gary Lauder Venture Philanthropy Fund. Robert Rosencrantz is our chairman. Clea Connor is CEO. Leah Mathau is our chief content officer. Marlette Sandoval is our editorial producer. And Gabriella Mayer is our editorial and research manager. Gabrielle Yanicelli is our social media and digital platforms coordinator. Andrew Lipson is head of production. Max Fulton is our production coordinator. Damon Whitmore is our engineer. Raven Baker is events and operations manager. And Rachel Kemp is our chief of staff. Our theme music is by Alex Clement. And I'm your guest moderator, Naima Raza. We'll see you next time on Open to Debate.